Taking your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 16. So as these things happen, I was planning on preaching all 15 verses that begin this chapter. And as the week went on, the passage I was going to preach on got shorter and shorter. And I was surprised. (laughs) And so I'm actually just preaching this morning on verses 1 through 5. And that means the actual title of today's message is The Losses the losses of advancing the kingdom. We will spend most of our attention, therefore, on the joining of Timothy to the work of the Apostle Paul. Let us pray and then read the scriptures. Our most gracious God and Father, we bow our heads before you and humble our hearts confessing, O Lord, that we are the neediest people upon the earth. Father, we are in great need in this hour for the ministry of your Holy Spirit to be like a good plowman in our hearts. We pray, Father, that he would indeed break up the fallow ground, furrow a deep row, and make our hearts good soil to receive the seed of the good word of God, we ask that we would indeed recognize the voice of the master, that we would be held captive to his voice and recognize your authority and yield our spirit, yield our will, yield our body to Jesus Christ evermore. Lord, we thank you and we praise you that these requests are the privileges of the children of God, that you are not ashamed to see us coming so needy. Oh, gracious Lord, open your hand to us, we pray. Open your hand to our sons. Open your hand to our daughters. Open your hand to all gathered here so that we indeed would receive that which is life. O gracious God, we ask in Jesus' name, who is life. Amen. Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 5. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. This is God's word. Beloved, the kingdom of Jesus Christ is a kingdom of grace. This means first and foremost that the rule of God, 
which is at work in the world, is a rule of salvation, whereby God, through his Son, Jesus Christ, is taking captive men and women out of the world and delivering them from the penalty of sin and the power of sin. In love, God takes these men and women to himself. He keeps them for himself. And he blesses them forever with himself. The eternal God unites himself to the creature by this bond of saving love. And because his kingdom is a kingdom of grace, the instrument of his deliverance from sin, from death, from condemnation, the instrument of his deliverance is an announcement. The instrument is a proclamation. The instrument is a publishing, a heralding of good news. The instrument of Christ's deliverance, the instrument by which his kingdom of grace advances into the world, is preaching the gospel declaring to all people everywhere that in Jesus Christ, everything necessary to fully reconcile sinners to God has been accomplished, and it has been accomplished in the person and work of the king himself. Christ crucified for you, Christ risen for you, is first the accomplishment, and now it is the announcement. For by grace you have been saved through faith, And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Sinners do not work their way into the kingdom of God's salvation because it is a kingdom of grace. They believe their way into it. They believe the report that God in Christ was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them. And believing this good news, they now live for Jesus Christ. Now, because the kingdom of God is a kingdom of grace, it is a kingdom on the move. In our text this morning, this kingdom of grace, which is a kingdom on the move, pulls a beloved son out of his mother's house pulls a beloved church member out of his home church, pulls a public citizen Christian out of his own city. Why? Because the kingdom of grace is a kingdom on the move because it is a kingdom of grace. I'll explain. It is not a kingdom that must stay put with just certain kinds of people who live in certain kinds of places. No, there are no kinds of people to be excluded up front from the kingdom of God's salvation because people are not brought into this kingdom by being born in the right country or having the right skin color or having the right politics or having the right amount of education or wealth or influence or even by having the right amount of moral refinement. None of those things put you in this kingdom. Grace opens this kingdom to you. Therefore, this kingdom is not local. It is not static. 
It is not so people can be more comfortable in all these things that don't put people in the kingdom. It is the kingdom of grace. No one can enter by their works. No one is deserving of it. But everyone and anyone can enter by receiving it as a gift, believing what they have heard, that the Lord Jesus Christ has been given for them, fully and forever reconciling them to God. But how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Three questions that should be on every divinity exam. They come from Romans 10, 14, and 15. They are the very questions that propel the movement of the kingdom of grace. Now, our passage this morning is full of movement. Luke, the author of Acts, has begun to record here the second missionary journey of the Apostle Paul, who is now accompanied by Silas and Timothy. These first 15 verses, if we had read them all, include 500 miles of westward travel by the time you get to verse 16. Westward travel by land, westward travel by sea, and a beloved son, a favorite son of Lystra, has been plucked off the basketball team, has been pulled out of city government. Now, of course, Timothy didn't know what a basketball was. I'm bridging two worlds for you. From the world's perspective, Timothy's life is a loss. He has left all the comforts that every localist agrarian tells you you must have. And I love localist agrarians. But the kingdom of grace does not yield to the flesh of man, even the best and most beautiful side of man's flesh. Timothy is now on the move. Why is there so much movement, so much activity? Because those souls already in the kingdom of grace know the good news must be spread. They know the people of the world cannot come under the rule of God's salvation by trying to put their lives together morally or put their lives together politically. Those in the kingdom of grace know that it cannot happen. No one can enter into this kingdom by trying to put their lives together domestically or put their lives together culturally. They can only enter the kingdom by hearing and by believing what God has done for them in Jesus Christ. Therefore, the kingdom is a kingdom on the move because it is a kingdom of grace. This is why there is so much movement. Paul and Silas and now Timothy and the churches that are sending them out know they must lose the comforts of this present life to advance the kingdom of grace. And where did they learn this? They learned this from the Savior himself who left the comforts of heaven 
for us so we could gain the comforts of heaven through his sufferings, through his discomfort. And the church, having now gained heaven by him, now leaves behind the comforts of this decaying world, willingly losing the comforts of this decaying world to advance the kingdom of grace in a world that will not ever be weak or failing in comfort. So let's look at a few of the losings, a few of the losses in these first five verses of our text. Loss number one, Timothy loses his foreskin. Timothy loses his foreskin. As a grown man, probably late in his 20s or 30s maybe, Timothy is circumcised by Paul in order to advance the kingdom of grace. Timothy did not need to be circumcised in order to be saved. The Jerusalem Council, back one chapter in Acts 15, the Jerusalem Council had settled that question clearly and robustly. No one needed to be circumcised to be saved. And Timothy did not even need to be circumcised to be regarded as an obedient Christian. He was circumcised instead so unbelieving Jews would not be offended by his presence. Because to be the son of a Jewish woman and be uncircumcised would regard him as, a, be it, as an apostate Jew by every Jewish person in the world. Many Jews, though, were still ignorant of the sufficiency of Christ. But Paul did not want an uncircumcised Timothy to provoke them and make it impossible to gain a hearing for the gospel before them. In fact, in Paul's letter to the Galatians, he will say, quote, In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. It's a nothing burger. It's been reduced to a tool to gain a hearing for the gospel to bring men and women into the kingdom of grace. So Timothy is circumcised because it is, a not, it is now a matter indifferent. And this shows us that the motto of the kingdom of grace is not be provocative as possible. That's not the motto of the kingdom of grace. Nor is it be as unaccommodating as possible. No, the motto of a servant in the kingdom of grace is what Paul says in another place. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. 1 Corinthians 9, 22. That's the motto of this kingdom. To be even more specific, Paul says this in that same passage. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. Beloved, the kingdom of grace advances by an announcement of good news. It does not advance by forcing people 
to give up things or add things to their life that are indifferent and cannot save them anyway. This means as Christians, we look for ways to gain a hearing before the men and women of the world, which means we will make costly adjustments to accommodate people. Now, I don't know if Timothy's father was alive when he joined up with Paul and left his mother behind. There's one possible way of explaining that his father was dead by then, and it's a potential Greek grammar issue in our text today when it says he was a Greek. It's a tricky thing. But let's, for a moment, suppose his father was alive when Paul circumcised Timothy. Do you know why Timothy was uncircumcised for all those years? Because of his father. The father had rights over the son. Even the Jews recognized it for a marriage that was in the condition of Timothy's parents, a Jewish mother, a Greek father. It was improper, said the Jews, for the mother to circumcise the son against the Greek father's wishes. Timothy spent years uncircumcised. If he went under the knife to accommodate the advance of the kingdom of grace, he would bear a wound in his heart between him and his father. The fool that his father would have regarded him to be for not only getting circumcised, but leaving town to tell the world about a man who had been crucified as the one who reconciles all sinners to God, what a great loss that would be for Timothy. Here is the point. It is our calling as believers to make every accommodation that we can to gain a hearing for the gospel. Is there something in your life that is keeping unbelievers away from you? But it is something you could get rid of because it is a matter indifferent. If there is such a thing, why do you want it more than you want an opportunity to proclaim Christ to unbelievers? Why is that thing, whatever it is, Why is that matter indifferent more important to you than reaching those who are lost? You should find an answer to that question very soon. Because for the Christian, you just heard from Paul in 1 Corinthians 9, for the Christian pastor, for the Christian church member, there should be nothing that is a matter indifferent that we want to cling to if it prevents us from sharing the announcement of the kingdom with an unbeliever. Find out what it is. Is it on your social media post? Is it on a flagpole in your yard? Is it on your bumper? Find out anything in your life that is keeping unbelievers away from you and exercise it. Now, that's not the same word as exercise. Cast it out. 
for the honor and glory of Christ who has built this kingdom on his own body and blood and your zeal to see others brought in it. Aren't you rejoicing that you've been brought in it? Have you no love in your heart that you would want others to be brought into it? For you have been. Oh, this is what burns in the bosom of the Apostle Paul. What a great disciple maker he is. Now let's go back to Timothy. Timothy loses more than just his foreskin in order to advance the kingdom of grace. He loses his mother, Eunice. And we mentioned he loses his father, the Greek. He loses each of them in different ways, but he does not lose, or excuse me, but he does indeed lose both parents. It seems very likely that his father was an unbeliever, but his mother was not. Not because she was a Jewess, but because she has come to faith in Christ. Now we know Timothy's mother's name is Eunice, because years later Paul writes his last ever letter to this same Timothy. It's 2 Timothy in your New Testament. And I want you to hear what he says in these final words. He says to Timothy, 1 Timothy 1.4, maybe 2 Timothy 1.4, typo. Quote, As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that first dwelt in your grandmother and then your mother. Beloved, how many of you have a dear, believing mother? How many of you have a mother who has shared with you the best gift a human being can share with another one, the gospel of Jesus Christ? Timothy had that mother, and he lost her in space and time. He lost her for a season because he left Lystra to advance the kingdom of grace. He didn't cling to his mother, though she was a great earthly gift and treasure. For the advancement of the kingdom, he left her behind because he he knew that he would never really lose her. And when he says, excuse me, when Paul says to him, I remember your tears, It might be tempting to think that the tears spoken there are the tears of separation from his mom. But what has happened, according to the very text you're about to hear again, what has happened is that Timothy's bond with Paul, with the church, with the family of God, has become so strong, Paul has become a father to him. And his tears are for the separation between him and Paul which means that the Lord had greatly enriched Timothy's soul. Though absent from his mother, he walked beside his father in the faith, in the advance of the kingdom of grace. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, he says. That's what those tears are about. 
that Paul and Timothy had been separated. How great a bond the Lord had given in replacement of the loss that had fallen upon Timothy. Our Lord Jesus himself foretold this lifestyle for all the children of God. In Matthew 19, verse 29, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my namesake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life, but many who are first will be last and the last first. This is our Lord Jesus luring us to give up the comforts of this life to be advancing the kingdom of grace. You've done it this morning, haven't you? You came out of the comfort of your home. You left behind your bed. You left behind your stocked refrigerator. You left behind all of the comforts of a 71, well, I don't know what you set your thermostat at, but a 71-degree house where nobody was there sizing up your outfit, checking to see if you're paying attention. You were in great comfort, and you left it all behind, and you do it every Lord's Day. And one of the great benefits of doing it every Lord's Day, beloved, is you are training your heart to lose the comforts of this earthly life, to be partaking and partnering in the advancement of the kingdom of grace in your praises and in your fellowship and in your communion with the saints. And training your heart like that will make it ever more easy for you to let your sons go into the ministry instead of engineering to let your sons go to become missionaries instead of doctors. Your heart will have been trained in the Sabbath keeping of the church of God because this Sabbath day is a testament to your spirit that your true heavenly country is not here. It's above. Your true dwelling place, your true home was never on the terra firma under the first Adam. It is in the heavenlies in Jesus Christ. There's another loss in our text. The church of Lystra loses. It loses one of its best, one of its brightest. Look at verse 2. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. This means that Timothy had a reputation that extended beyond Nina, that extended beyond the Fox Cities. Timothy was well-known among the brothers in all of northeast Wisconsin. Now, I'm bridging two worlds here. Understand. This is how prominent a godliness was evident in the life of Timothy. And he's pulled out. The church gives him up to the advancement of the kingdom of grace. Because the mission of the church of Jesus Christ isn't to make everyone's life more comfortable in a passing temporary age. 
The mission of the church of Jesus Christ is to, well, let's take Paul's words and put them in our mouth, to win as many as possible. Those in the kingdom of grace are willing to lose the comforts of the choicest fruits in that kingdom in order to spread the good news of God's salvation. And so they give up Timothy. Young men, not all of you are going to be pastors. But all of you will be Christians. But some of you, maybe just one of you, maybe two of you, will be called to the gospel ministry to leave behind your hometown, to leave behind your home team. I left Wisconsin and went to seminary in Texas, then spent 10 years in Vermont, and by the time I left Vermont to come back to Wisconsin, I had lost all flavor for the Green Bay Packers. What a great loss. (laughs) Only to others. I hardly know that I lost it. But you will lose something, young men, those of you who are going to be called to gospel ministry. You will lose the comforts of this place, the comforts of this church, the comfort of mom and dad. But that's what this life is for. This is not home. This is not comfort. This is kingdom advance. And those of you who don't go, Every Sunday, you do go. You come out of your home and train your heart again to be glad to send your sons, to be glad to send your daughters with a missionary, with a pastor, to be glad to send your money. We are a people on the move, next to people on the move, because we are advancing the kingdom of grace, which is advanced by an announcement, by a proclamation. No culture on the earth has the raw material within itself, either legally, morally, or domestically or culturally, to enter the kingdom of God by fashioning those things in a particular way. None. Souls only enter that kingdom by faith in that which they hear. So those in the kingdom of grace are willing to lose the comforts of this life to spread the good news of salvation. And why are we so willing? Three quick reasons. One, we know Christ set aside the comforts of heavenly glory to open this kingdom by his blood. So losing the comforts of an earthly life is a tiny sacrifice for those already guaranteed heaven. Remember what Jesus said, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He said that for us so that we would never be confused about what following him would be like. Number two, they know that the best men of the earth and the worst men of the earth are together outside the kingdom. So there are no men that we want to stay away from on the earth. We want to go to the best men, whether they are in a great city of the earth, and we want to go to the worst men, if they are even in a terrible city of the earth. We want to go. We want to send our sons 
We want to send our daughters. We want to send the gospel. And we will be like Christ who was sent. And he didn't go to such a great place either, did he? It's called planet Earth. Three, servants in this kingdom are willing to lose the comforts because they know the comforts of this life are not that valuable anyway. For if they were of great value, they would have been a ticket into the kingdom of God. But none of them are. Your family is not a ticket into the kingdom of God. What a comfort it is, though, right? You should always see that your family is a comfort. I hope your family is a comfort. But it is not that valuable because it is not the ticket into the kingdom of God. Christ is, and faith in his work is. Jesus said in Matthew 13, 44, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. When a man sees how valuable the kingdom of grace is, he quickly does the math and realizes that nothing in his possession in this world is as valuable as that kingdom. And so he can let it go. He can make it subordinate in every way. I do have one final admonishment for the entire congregation as well as the young men in this congregation. Young men, look again at verse 2. It says there of Timothy, he was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Young men, do not be afraid to have it as your motive to be well spoken of by other Christians. Never think that that is an improper motive. It is a pure motive. You are indeed encouraged to want this in your life, to be well spoken of by the brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, to live such a life of honor and faith before God that people recognize it in your life and speak well of you to one another and to you. And that brings me to the congregation, an admonishment for you. Be those who speak well of godly young men in our midst. Do you see what God has done in the speaking well of Timothy in Lystra and Iconium? He has used that speaking well to encourage Timothy and to identify Timothy as one who would be called to gospel ministry. This is not all done secretly and internally within Timothy. Yes, there is an interior calling, but there is an exterior calling in the church of God. Let us not be more righteous than God. Let us not think it wrong to speak well of a young Christian man to him or a young Christian woman to her. Let us learn how to do this. When we see godly behavior, when we see endurance in faith, go and tell them you see it and how it is a blessing to you. Who knows, it may be God's will to use that to make them a mighty oak of righteousness, 
for this church or a mighty arrow of gospel mission for the world. With that said, young men, I need to tell you about a little program in our Orthodox Presbyterian Church. It's called the Timothy Conference. I wonder why it's called that. The Timothy Conference is designed for young men finishing high school, entering college, young men who are interested in gospel ministry. Our denomination will take you to a warm location and train you in doctrine and life to see to see if you might have an interest in gospel ministry and missions in pastoring. If this is an interest of yours next year, if this is an interest of yours three years from now, I want you to remember today that I've invited you to come and contact the session, the elders here, and let us know it's your interest. And we will even help you get ready. So there we have a little lesson on the losses of advancing the kingdom of Jesus Christ. The lesson, of course, is not to be heard in a wrong way. The lesson is not everybody leave here this week, find a new state, start a new life. No, the lesson is not enter the witness protection program. The lesson is to loosen your grip on the things of this world. They are not that valuable. The only thing of great value is that which gains you entrance into the eternal kingdom of Jesus Christ. Parents, loosen your grip. Do not cling to the things of this age. Do not disciple your children that the things of this world are the real valuable things. And if then if you have money and time left over, then put your hand on the kingdom. No. Parents, disciple your children. Let us all disciple one another by our example in this. You've done it already today by leaving the comforts of home and coming to the assembly of the righteous and the praise of the faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father, grant us hearts to continue and to deepen our willingness to gladly follow in the spirit of loss that we see in the life of Eunice, losing her son, the life of Timothy, losing his father and his mother. Grant us the spirit that deepens and strengthens in the imitation of Jesus Christ, who did not think it robbery to be equal with God, but took the form of a servant and became obedient unto death, so that the kingdom would be open to us, the rule of your salvation. Father, we pray that you would, if it pleases you, raise up young men from this congregation to be churchmen, to decide now, this year in their life, that they will pursue the life of a churchman, that they will read, that they will study, that they will listen better to sermons, that they would set a course and not deviate from it to be in your service regardless of what comforts of this age 
they must set behind. Raise up deacons, raise up elders, raise up pastors, raise up missionaries, raise up ordinary Christians who are unashamed to be losing in this age as they advance that which cannot be taken from them. In Jesus' name, amen.